So guys, what is your happy place? What's that spot, that location, that activity that just brings you contentment and rest and relaxation? Uh, you know, it's just like the vibe that you love, all right? We're gonna talk today about places and spaces that we associate with certain emotions and certain experiences. We talk about this sort of stuff all the time because we're spiritual beings, we have, uh, we, we're souls, but we also have physical bodies and we, we end up in places and spaces. And um, we talk about we, we find our comfort zone or a safe haven or safe place. Uh, there's physical locations that we associate with certain ideas or concepts like a hall of fame, like Las Vegas is also called Sin City, like get your kicks on Route 66, that's enjoyment, fun, travel, right? Um, Disney, it's called the happiest place on earth. Uh, Costco is fill in the blank for you. For me, it's the home of $5 chicken. Uh, Fog Allen Fieldhouse, the home of the J Candace Jayhawks. I went to the game one time there and on the door to the visitor's uh, locker room, it said, welcome to the uh, greatest home court advantage in all of college basketball. That's what was on the visitor uh, entrance, all right? Crazy, crazy place to watch a, a basketball game. Craziest place, and I've been a little lot. Craziest place you'll ever you'll be at. Uh, and then another one, sports. Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field is also known as the friendly confines. All of these describe places with nicknames or ideas. Those are kind of public spaces, but we also have our personal spaces and places. They're our favorite hangouts and haunts. We've got our restaurants, our campgrounds, uh, grandma's house, parks, playgrounds, ball fields, workplaces, stations. We got our office space. We got our beaches, our mountains, our fishing holes that we like to visit, golf courses, shopping mall, tennis courts, pickleball courts, video game stations, state fairs, libraries, farms, factories. On and on it goes. They're all different locations and spaces where we experience things. We experience emotions, we experience thoughts, and we connect our souls to those spaces and places. And of course, we have a saying about uh, uh, when we think about all the different locations of our life, we say this saying, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And, you know, uh, whatever that means to you, there's no place like home. Um, we're beginning a new series uh, today, and we're calling it Spiritual Geographic. And we're giving everybody here in person this incredible journal. We spent a lot of time putting this together because we want you to be able to dig deep into the Word of God together. This Spiritual Geographic magazine is filled with uh, all sorts of wonderful uh, photographs, uh, Bible study, notes, questions, uh, things for you to dwell on, and, and also journal space for you to write. So as you come and hear these messages, you want to take your journal out and be ready to do that. So we're talking about Spiritual Geographic. The Bible has what I call spiritual geography. That is the Bible connects spiritual principles with spaces and places. Uh, the spiritual geographic is the places and spaces where God meets us, right where we are. Because see, guys, we are not just spiritual people. 
We're physical people and we connect with locations and spaces and they mean something to us. We visit those places. We live in those places and spaces. And this is how God has chosen and designed for us to meet with Him. We don't just connect with God in thought or in mind. We actually do it in physical places. And although those are not necessarily absolutely primary, it's still, yeah, we worship in spirit and in truth, but we still gather together in a place. We pray in a prayer closet, if you will, a spot where we meet. We meet with friends at places and we connect with God in different places and spaces. And the Bible is filled with this stuff. The Bible is a spiritual geographic journal. You know, here's the thing about the Bible is that it could have just given us principles of life. Uh, Jesus could have just taught things. Uh, Moses could have just taught things. But instead what we get is, yeah, we get all that teaching, but then we get peppered in throughout the Bible hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of locations and spaces, places that are significant. They're written down for all time in the eternal Word of God. And that's because they're important. So I want you to invite you to join us every single week starting in this new year that's about to begin on an unforgettable eight, uh, excuse me, 11-week tour of some of the most important and powerful places in Scripture. There was a day when I, I think as a, as, a, as a culture, we knew about all these places, but a lot of times they're not really talked about culturally, and so we want to rediscover those. And maybe for some of you it's a reminder, for others it's going to be like a brand new experience of, of finding out these places. We could go through hundreds or thousands of these, we picked 11 of them that are quite significant. And, and the goal of this all is to meet with God, to meet with one another, and to and understand kind of the spiritual geography of our own lives, how God meets us in certain places that are represented in places that the Bible talks about. So, you, so that you will enter into this new year refreshed and transformed each week as we walk through it together. You know, the Bible could have started with principles, but instead it starts, uh, at least for human beings, in a garden. It starts in a place where God formed and fashioned and made. And the Bible ends in a garden uh, in Revelation 22 and in a new Jerusalem. So apparently spaces and places are important to God and they're important to us. As, and he's created us for places and spaces to enjoy his presence forever and ever and ever with one another. So get your journal out and uh, pick up a journal if you don't have one. And on the very first page, there's a spot where you can write traveler. That's where your name goes. And because there's thousands of these floating around, you want to make sure that you, we can track you down if you happen to leave it behind and that you bring it back each week so you don't have to be using uh, multiple uh, copies of it. Uh, just use this your next 11 weeks uh, as you journal. It is the last uh, few days of this year. Uh, we're coming to uh, New Year's uh, Day, right? Uh, and, and with New Year's Day, we have a lot of hopes and dreams. Uh, we have, looking back on some of our failures, things that didn't happen the way we wanted them to, new resolutions, uh, new goals, plans, uncertainties, uh, who knows what 2024 will bring. But a new year is the perfect time to start over. And so... I thought it was very appropriate that where we begin is a place where there's a lot of starting over in the Bible. So first up for the end of the year and the beginning of a new year 
The first spiritual geographical place we're going to look at is the land of Egypt. Egypt. Because Egypt, in the Bible, and for us, is a place to start over. So I don't know if you're having a great year and you're looking forward to the, to the new year or you're like, wow, I'm glad 2023 is over. Can't wait for 2024 to begin or somewhere in between. Let's start in Egypt because it's a place to start over. Now, e Egypt is obviously one of the greatest civilizations of the ancient world. It is all over the Bible. It is mentioned over 700 times in the Bible. It's a very important uh, place. Uh, and in the Christmas story that we just experienced, we get the birth of Jesus, and that happens not in Egypt, of course, but it happens in Bethlehem. And then we're told that the shepherds come and visit him, and they spread the word throughout uh, Bethlehem. And Jesus and his parents go to, uh, to Jerusalem to be dedicated. We learn also along the way that um, the Magi come and visit Jesus, uh, and they're from the east, far away, and they come to visit him in Bethlehem. And then uh, Herod, King Herod, who's a very jealous guy, finds out about this and he, uh, he wants to, he feels that Jesus, this king of the Jews, this newborn king of the Jews is a threat. So he wants to do away with him. So he wants to find out where, uh, where he is and, and he finds out it's in Bethlehem. And so Magi are warned in a dream, go, don't go anywhere near Herod, go home by another route. And then God tells Joseph, the human uh, father, uh, caretaker of Jesus uh, in a dream uh, in, in these incredible words. And I mean, this is captured in a lot of artwork. Here's one uh, where Joseph takes Mary and the child. And it says, um, after they were gone, this is, uh, this is the gospel, okay? Gospel of Matthew. After they, that's the Magi, were gone. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to, there's our place, Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. So Egypt's going to be a refuge for them. It's going to be their safe haven for a while from the murderous threats of King Herod. That's not a, normally when most people hear about Egypt, either they think nothing about the Bible or if they're familiar with the Bible, that's not, safe haven isn't necessarily the first Thing that comes to mind when you talk about Egypt. But it is here. And stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. Oh my. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. It was the safe haven. And he stayed there until Herod's death. So that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet it was prophet Hosea, might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now this is an, an Old Testament quotation of the prophet Hosea about the nation of Israel. But now the gospel writer applies this, which was spoken originally about the nation of Israel, to the ultimate son of God. The, the Israel was known as the son of, uh, the sons of God, children of God. The ultimate son of God is Jesus. And so Jesus begins to fulfill in a grander, glorious way what Israel, the nation, could never fulfill. This deliverance out of Egypt. What they saw partially, Jesus brings completely. And Matthew's gospel was written to primarily Jewish audience, borrows from all these Old, Test Old Testament prophets to show how Jesus fulfills all the hopes and dreams of the world. 
something is very significant about Egypt. Egypt, for me and for you as well, not just 2,000 years ago, but right now. Here's the lesson, the number one lesson, the takeaway uh, that you'll read about in your spiritual journal and here in the scriptures we'll learn is that the takeaway is the dead end, what looks like an absolute dead end, like this is terrible, can actually become the new road. It can actually open up for you new vistas. If you'll, uh, using another scripture, it'll open up to you a new and living way through Jesus Christ. So uh, back up a minute. Egypt, why is this the dead end can become the new road? Because when we think of Egypt, especially in Old Testament, Exodus, Pharaoh, Moses, right, all that, what do we think of? Egypt is a place of, and here's a hint from a Ten Commandments movie. Let my people go. The slaves are mine. Their lives are mine. All that they own is mine. I do not know your God, nor will I let Israel go. So Egypt, in our minds, most often gets associated with slavery, bondage, oppression, trouble, exploitation, and suffering. Right? Right? Not so fast. In the scriptures, what's the relationship? Define the relationship. It's complicated. It's complicated. I mean, when we think of Egypt, when we're not thinking of the Ten Commandments and, you know, the movie and Exodus and Moses and Charlton Heston and, and the Prince of Egypt Disney movie and all that, we're not thinking about that. We're thinking about what? We're thinking about pyramids, right? We got all the pyramids going on. We got the Sphinx, who's this gigantic, basically, idol. Um, and then we got the, this, the, by the way, the pyramids are gigantic. I mean, here's a kind of a, a measure of them. Here's Big Ben, Statue of Liberty, uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa. I mean, it just dwarfs those. It's, it's, it's a huge building. Um, and, and they made it. Um, they made all the pyramids. And uh, keep going. They made all the pyramids and the sphinxes a thousand years before Moses. They were already there. And they built them in a span of about 85 years. Pretty amazing, actually. Um, but that's what we usually think about. Or we think about King Tut, you know. He was, the, uh, he was this ruler they found in, in 1922, 101 years ago. They uh, found his, uh, his, his tomb, unearthed that, and all the treasures that were in there, his sarcophagi, all this crazy stuff, King Tut. And that's what we think about Egypt. But in the Bible, it's... it's there's a lot more about Egypt. It's mentioned 700 times. First, we, we meet up with Egypt. The first clue that we get is that God appears to Abraham, says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Um, and he says, the father of, of the nation of Israel, the father of our, our, our faith. And, uh, and he, he tries to enter. He, he starts off way off in Ur of the Chaldees, uh, which is way east of the land of Israel. He starts, he, he comes into Canaan, which will become the land of Israel. Um, and he, he has all sorts of problems and so forth. And it's so oppressive and terrible that he actually escapes to guess where? Egypt, right. He has to go there for a safe haven. It's a place of refuge and security. But it's also a place of danger because he ends up, it's a long story, but he ends up lying to Pharaoh uh, about his wife says it's his sister and so forth. It gets in all sorts of trouble. So there's temptation, there's all this mixed in. So it's security, refuge, temptation, affluence, all that's mixed together. It's complicated, Egypt. And then we come, eventually, 
God uh, blesses Abraham with Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob, who is the founder of the nation of the, the people of Israel, right? He has 12 sons. And his 12 sons are hanging out, and one of them is his sons is Joseph, and his brothers all turn against him because he was going to be the prominent one. He told him his dreams, and so they sell him into slavery, and he's taken off to guess where? Egypt. You got it. Jacob is taken off to, excuse me, Joseph is taken off to Egypt. And there he's thrown in prison. He's forgotten about it for a long time. He's suffering. He's miserable. Uh, he gets, he gets, finally gets out because he can interpret dreams. Uh, and then he gets in trouble uh, because uh, one of the leaders, Potiphar, there accuses uh, him, his wife, Potiphar's wife, accuses uh, Joseph of doing something, ends up in prison, all the crazy stuff that happens. Um, you know, the prison, I, I've kind of meshed all those together. But um, bad stuff happens. But eventually he gets out and he rises and rises and rises. And eventually he becomes second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. This brings great success and eventually saves Jacob and the other brothers. As they come, there's a reunited, there's a reconciliation. And, and Egypt basically saves Israel by providing them food during the famine, supplying them, and Joseph as the second in command of Egypt. He's just an incredible blessing to all of them. So that's, Egypt is good. But then, Egypt is bad. Because then there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know anything about Joseph. And he puts all the Hebrews into captivity. And then eventually arises a man named Moses. And Moses is God's chosen leader. And his story is very long and involved. Uh, and it's, he's perhaps the most prominent person in the Old Testament is Moses. Uh, and he says to uh, Pharaoh eventually, let my people go. You know the story. Let my people go. Pharaoh refuses. He hardens his heart. God sends all the 10 plagues. The last one's the plague on the firstborn. They celebrate Passover, put the blood of the lamb, and all this gets applied in the New Testament, Jesus. The blood of the lamb on the doorpost, angel of death comes, passes over them, but slays all the firstborn of Egypt because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Eventually Pharaoh says, you can go now, and he lets them go. But then he changes his mind, goes chases after them, and they, Moses is wandering around. They end up at the edge of the Red Sea, and you know what happens. Uh, I mean, this is a big deal. Um, in fact, let's just, let's just pause for a moment, and let's just watch... Uh, the 1956 epic, the Ten Commandments, as Moses, uh, God uses Moses as he raises up his, uh, his arms and his staff to open the Red Sea. The Lord of hosts will do battle for us. Behold his mighty hand. That's amazing and pretty good for a very long old film. Uh, special effects there, but the actual effects were absolutely astounding and miraculous. 
Israel passes through the Red Sea. Then they go wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because they rebel against the Lord. And during their time in the wilderness, they all are grumbling about, uh, you know, can we go back to Egypt? So they keep wanting to go back there, the land of bondage and oppression, because at least we had food and they think they're starving. Finally, God supplies manna from heaven for them in their grumbling. A lot of cr crazy stuff happens. But Egypt, for, for the nation of Israel in wilderness, is a place of temptation to old-time prosperity, to the idolatry of foreign gods, and to the comfort that they had, even in bondage and slavery. At least it was predictable. And they don't know what God's doing, so they, they, they go back to something that feels comfortable to them. Eventually, though, Moses leads them to the brink of the Promised Land, and then Joshua which is Yeshua, which in Greek is Jesus, but the Joshua of the Old Testament leads the people of Israel into the promised land. And they inherit the land, they possess the land, and then they're eventually sent out of their promised land because of their disobedience into exile, and then they return from exile. This is the entire story of um, the Old Testament, just short, uh, in a very short way. They're waiting for this deliverer. And, and, and they just keep going astray from God. And Hosea the prophet says it like this. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Now here is God who is the kind of the father of, of Egypt, uh, of, excuse me, of Israel. And he's kind of looking through the old family album here. And he's saying, when Israel, that's the people of God, was a child. When they were just starting out, they were toddlers, just delivered from Pharaoh's hand. He said, I, I called my son and I delivered them with a mighty hand, with all those plagues and miracles in the Red Sea and all the incredible provision of God through the wilderness. And then the entry into the promised land. He said, out of Egypt, I called my son. So very fond memories. But then he says, Israel then called to the Egyptians, even as Israel was leaving them, looking back to their wilderness experience, but also to their experience hundreds and hundreds of years later when they're in the land of Israel, but they're being pressed by foreign oppressors and they think, well, maybe Israel can, excuse me, Egypt can bail us out. And so they start looking to Egypt, their former captors, as now their deliverers. And this is so hurtful to our Heavenly Father's heart. He said, they kept sacrificing the Baals. They burnt offerings to the idols. I was the one who taught Ephraim to work, another name for Israel, taking them by the hand, but they never knew that I healed them. I led them with human cords, with ropes of love. He said, it was these cords of compassion and kindness. I led them like a little child. And he's just fondness for Israel. He says, to them, I was alone who eases the yoke from their jaws. I bent down to give them food. He says, Israel will not return to the land of Egypt, even though they wanted to go back to depend on them. And Assyria will be his king. They're going to go in exile because they refuse to repent. But if you read the rest of Hosea, that chapter 11, it's this very tender, powerful statement because he says, a sword will whirl. They're going to go into exile. This is hundreds of years before Jesus. My people are bent on turning from me. And he's like, oh, this makes me so sad and so angry, actually. But then he says, God says, how can I surrender you, Israel? I have a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. 
I will not vent the full fury of my anger. For I'm God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in rage. And he looks forward to a time of deliverance that will come from a true son of Israel who is to come. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion, this coming deliverer. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from all over. They will be roused like birds from Egypt. They will sell them in their homes. And he says, I'm going to deliver them. He's looking forward to those days, not just coming back from exile, but when the Messiah comes and Israel's longing for this Messiah that was to come. So that's all the Old Testament. And then it comes to the new. And we just celebrated the coming of Messiah, Jesus. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus tonight in Bethlehem. So we've come full circle in the story. Now we're in Bethlehem and then we go back into Egypt. When Jesus went to Egypt, he went there for safety. He would eventually come out of there and come to Nazareth, of course. But it was a place of safety. And when, after Jesus was ascended into heaven, after his earthly ministry was over, and the Holy Spirit came, he sent the apostles out preaching the word of God. And here's what they said. That in day in Jerusalem, he said, in this way, God fulfilled through Jesus what he had predicted through all the prophets, the whole Testament, that his Messiah would suffer. He'd go through hard times too. But his dead end would not be an ultimate dead end. It would be the new road. It would be the living way to new life. Therefore, repent, he says, and turn back. Turn around at your dead end. Turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. You could be, have completely free and entering in to a brand new beginning. That seasons of refreshing may come and the pres uh, may come from the presence of the Lord. That you can have a whole new beginning now. This is the gospel that was preached 2,000 years ago. And it's the same one today as we enter into a new year. We turn to God and just seasons. God can bring new seasons of refreshing no matter what we've faced in the past or what mistakes we've made or sins we've committed. He says you can experience the presence of the Lord in a new way at your dead end. That he may send Jesus. He'll send Jesus by his powerful Holy Spirit and ultimately in his second coming who's been appointed for you as the Messiah. This is for us too. Heaven must receive him so he's reigning on high for now until the time of the restoration of all things when God wraps it all up in human history in a new heavens and a new earth and the coming of Jesus which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Oh my, this is so good. Moses said, now this is Peter speaking, Apostle Peter. He says, Moses said, bunch of people of Israel standing there before him. The Lord your God, here's what Moses said, quote, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses from among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you and everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. Okay, do you get this? He's going back to Egypt. He's going back to Moses. And what Moses said is that someday God's going to send you somebody like me, a prophet. He'll be more than that, but he's a prophet, the prophet, like me. And you got to listen to everything he tells you. 
we're back to Egypt, we're back to Moses, we're back to Jesus. Because let me show you all the ways that Jesus uh, is, is the prophet that Moses prophesied about, who is a prophet like me, Moses. Come on. Look at that little, little chart here, okay? So, protected from the threat of death when a child. Moses, remember him? They're going to kill all the Hebrew babies, right? They're going to kill them all because they were getting too numerous. And they put Moses, well, you know what happened. They put Moses in a little basket. Well, let's watch it together, can we? From Ten Commandments. of Abraham, take my child into thy hands, that he may live to thy service. But mother, we have not even given him a name. God will give him a name. Miriam, watch it from the reeds. See where the Lord will lead him. Yes, Mother. Moses gets protected from the threat of a ruler who's going to kill him. Does that sound like anything that happened in the New Testament? Like when Herod wanted to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem? I mean, this is a prophet like me. So Jesus, here we go, escaped to Egypt. Moses escaped in Egypt in the Nile River. See how they're like, he's like them? Keep going. There's so many parallels between Moses and Jesus. He's called out of Egypt. Here's Moses to prepare for a great deliverance. He goes into the wilderness to, for God to prepare him and to make him into a great leader. Jesus is also called from Egypt in his childhood, from Egypt to Nazareth, to prepare for a great deliverance, our salvation. Keep going. He's, Moses is a shepherd. He serves as a shepherd for Jethro in the wilderness and eventually comes to the nation of uh, the people of God to lead them. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for sheep. He calls himself shepherd constantly. Moses resisted temptation to be an earthly ruler. It says he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Read about that in Hebrews 11. It's amazing. He said, I, I'm not going to accept all the treasures of Egypt and I could be somebody and I could be a ruler, but I'm not going to do that. Did that happen to Jesus too when he had an opportunity? Here, you can experience all the kingdoms of the world and all the wealth and treasure. Sure he did. That's the very first place where Satan started with Jesus, in the wilderness. All right, see all the parallels? Keep going. G Moses, I am saying, God reveals himself at the burning bush. Who do I say the people that you are? And God says to him, tell them I am who I am. And then Jesus, in his own kind of way, says, before Abraham was born, I am. 
I'm the one. I am God in human flesh. He, he's the one who spoke to Moses. He's the parallels here of the I am. Moses was sent to deliver God's people. Keep it, check it out. He delivers people from slavery in Egypt, Egypt through his leadership. Jesus delivers God's people from slavery to sin. This parallel is brought constantly in the New Testament. Moses was rejected by Israel. They all grumble against him. They all reject him. Jesus, does that sound familiar? Of course, he was often rejected by his own people. He came to his own. His own did not receive him, but some did. He miraculously gave bread to Israel. He, God provided through Moses manna from heaven when they were in the wilderness. Jesus, miraculous, multiply loaves of bread. He calls himself the true manna from heaven and the bread of life, which we'll celebrate in just a moment in communion. He is the bread of life. Je Moses performed many miracles by him or God through him. The manna from heaven, water from a rock, healed leprosy. He parted the Red Sea. Jesus, he fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread. Supposed to remind you of Moses. Changed water into wine, healed many diseases, walked in the water, stilled the seas, raised the dead. Here we go, all the parallels. Moses fasted before he brought the covenant. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights prior to establishing God's covenant. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness prior to establishing God's new covenant. Keep going. He brought God's word. Moses gave Israel the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the word made flesh and he gives us all his new commandments and the new commandment of love. I mean, it just keeps going on. Moses brought deliverance from death. There was one incident, you can read about it. He lifted up a bronze serpent and everyone who looked at it was saved. He says, look to this. God is working. This is your signal or your sign. It wasn't an idol, it was a sign to point forward to someone who would hang on a cross. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. And just as all they were healed, so Jesus heals us through being lifted up on the cross. I mean, it keeps going. That's, that's the incredible, all these parallels. So Moses and all of his experience in, yeah, Egypt and the Exodus, and all those experiences are all wrapped together to parallel. It all points forward and it's fulfilled in Jesus. What Jesus, Jesus did what Israel, the sons of Israel, were supposed to do and they did imperfectly and they sinned and they failed and they, didn't get, they gave into temptation and they grumbled and Jesus is the perfect son of Israel. He's the son of God and he is the Jewish Messiah. And so he fulfills all these promises and that's why, my friends, that's why this is significance, significant to us, because that's why this is included in a part of a Christmas story. And we don't even like to think about it, but he was born in Bethlehem, Herod wants to kill him, and so he escapes to a refuge in a secure place called Egypt, and then eventually God calls him out of Egypt, just like Moses, to the promised land, land of Israel. It all, I mean, the Bible is just such this beautiful interwoven, incredible, miraculous story, and you can spend a lifetime and you'll never understand it all. It just layers upon layers come. But Egypt is what we're at today, the spiritual geographic. Egypt means something. So all those things, that's a big Bible knowledge, salvation, history story. And they're, they're the bedrock and foundation of our faith. But what do we learn from Egypt and from the Exodus? Here's what we learn from the Exodus. First, that wherever you live is probably Egypt. I mean, we'll all kind of live in Egypt. And we're tempted to do the exact same things that 
the Israelites did in Egypt. Long, kind of looking back to that thing that was comfortable or maybe sinful or whatever and finding comfort in that or like, you know, hoping for something better. We're all like this. This is Egypt for us. Second thing we learn is that there is a better place and a world that's far more attractive. There's a promised land. There's a better place. There's a better space that God has for us on this earth and in a world to come. We long to be delivered to a better place. Third, what the Exodus, what Egypt it teaches us is that the way to the land is through the wilderness that we're going to have to go and that this life is not all lived in the promised land. We're sort of there, but not yet. But we have to live through a, a lot of wilderness experiences before we enter the promised land. And we'll get to this later when we talk to the, about the Jordan River. But there's a, there's a moment when we come through that Jordan River. And that's partially when, we're, when, we, when we trust in Jesus Christ and we, we come into the promised land spiritually. And then there comes a day when we go, when we're with God spiritually in heaven. And that's the ultimate promised land. And the last thing the Exodus in Egypt teaches us is that you need a rescuer to get you to the promised land. You can't get there yourself. You'll never get there yourself. That's why we trust in Jesus. So what's the takeaway from all of this? The takeaway is Egypt, spiritually speaking, is a place for us to start over. These are the lessons. The big picture, mega lesson, is that the dead end can become the new road. I mean, Egypt looks bad. It's slavery, it's bondage, it's oppression. You're back up against the wall. You got nothing but trouble in front of you and nothing trouble behind you. It's, you're hemmed in, you're up against the Red Sea. Whatever it might be, you're in slavery, you're in bondage. You wanna be delivered, you wanna be free of your guilt, you wanna, be, you wanna have a new future. Whatever it is you're hoping for in the new year, like I really pray for this to happen. Some breakthroughs that you're looking for. And it might appear sometimes like, where? Where am I? This just seems bad or it seems like a dead end or like where's my life going? Or am I ever going to have this breakthrough? And who knows what 2024 will bring to us? We don't know. I mean, the world is crazy. We're talking about the land of Israel. I mean, guys, it's the same place. It's complete chaos and evil and terrorism is going on right now. That's the world we live in. We don't know what's going to happen. But do we have a God that can take whatever we face, the dead ends of life, and can create something beautiful out of that? Can begin to give us a new road into our future? That's what I'm telling you today on the, at the very end of 2023, that 2024 can be an amazing year. But it won't be Egypt that gets you there. It won't be the Egyptians that gets you there. It won't be idolatry that gets you where. It won't be all the pleasures and treasures of Egypt that Moses was tempted with, that Jesus was offered. It won't get you there. In fact, just as a visual, here's how Egypt will not get you there. Here's the Sphinx. The Sphinx is this huge idol in, in Egypt. And do you notice something about the Sphinx? And he's not the only one with this problem. He got his nose knocked off. Why is that? Well, it's just erosion, time, so actually that's not what happened. Almost certainly what happened was, and this went on in the ninth century, there were uh, uh, some, some new rulers in, in Egypt, new, new civilization, Muslim civilization, and they saw that people were still worshiping the Sphinx. And so one particular fanatical guy climbed up and sent a workers up on, the, on, on, these, on this Sphinx and chopped off the nose. Why? Because he said, if, 
if you chop off the nose, it's just like a signal. Because you can't, then you chop off your nose, you can't breathe. You're dead. He says, this, this is not going to give you life. Dead things can't give you life. Learn that. Dead things can't give you life. And even in the ninth century, somebody who wasn't even a follower of Jesus figured that out about Egypt. And I hope we do too. We, we keep looking to inanimate things, material things, financial things that are going to give us life. And they, 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 they're, they're great gifts. But when we hoard them and keep them and worship them, they, they end up disappointing. Other people can do that too. Because they're not everlasting like God is. So here's the spiritual geography of Egypt. Here's the takeaways from everything I've been saying. You're going to be in Egypt. You're living in Egypt. That's where you are now. It's kind of complicated. It's good and it's bad. It's refuge and security, but it's also temptation and problems. So here's my first principle. It's good to seek and enjoy the refuge and hospitality that God provides for you. Maybe you need refuge. You're like, I've just been suffering. I've just been battered by life. I just feel like I've been beat up. I, I need a refuge. Well, God, he can provide for you in Egypt. That's a place like that. Pray for him. Seek him. He can do that through relationships. He can do that through, um, through his own grace. He can do that through a life group. He can do that through, um, through his own promises. But he's got a place of refuge and hospitality. Well, you'll get a warm welcome. And that's what we want Valley Church to be as well. When you can find that kind of refuge and hospitality. Enjoy that. When God gives you that, enjoy it. It's not something to feel guilty of because Egypt offers that to you. Egypt offered that to Jesus Christ and Joseph and Mary the first Christmas. And they took it and received it. And it was an incredible blessing to them. So Egypt can be a blessing to you. And it's amazing. So here's the second takeaway. Enjoy the abundance and the prosperity that God gives to you. But fall in love with the giver of that abundance and prosperity, not the gifts of abundance and prosperity in the coming year. We could get attached to the gifts. That's what, that's what Israel did over and over again. They liked the stuff they had in Egypt a lot of times, even though it was in, sometimes slaves enslaved them. Can we go back there? There's so much wealth there. There's so much flourishing there. It's so, it's so prosperous there. And they just got so attached to stuff that they forgot about God. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let Egypt woo you and seduce you. Uh, enjoy the abundance and prosperity but fall in love with God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's what we sing. Praise him, all creatures here below. Let's keep going. Resist the temptation to return to Egypt. In the new years to come, there's a lot of things that could become stumbling blocks for us in the land of Egypt. Because the land of Egypt is the land of seduction and pleasures. There's all sorts of stuff in our culture. There's all sorts of stuff in your personal life, at the office, in the workplace, um, out in culture, in a relationship that can be seductive and pleasurable. But be careful because if you're not careful, it'll just completely take over your heart. And ultimately, yeah, you can also get be seduced by power and security. It's like, I just want to be secure. I just want to have this kind of power and authority. I just want to have this wealth and affluence. I just want to have this kind of security. This makes me feel secure. But if that's not God, it can end up being the land of bondage and oppression where you're trapped in, in, in addictions, where you're trapped in a mentality of 
consumption. I've got to just consume things. When you're trapped, it's not about faith anymore. It's about having and seeing and, and just consumption of those things or power hungry or getting angry about stuff or pride or whatever it is. That's the, all the bad side of Egypt. So be careful about that in 2024. Learn from Egypt. Great place, place of refuge, but it can take over your heart if you're not careful. Remember to be generous, compassionate, and grace-filled to all people. Over and over again, in the Old and New Testament, God reminds us to remember the downtrodden, to remember to advance the kingdom of God, to remember to be grace-filled to others, because you once were slaves in Egypt, or because you once were slaves to unrighteousness, because your heart was captivated, but now you've been set through through Jesus Christ. So remember, remember that, and you be an advocate, you be generous, you be compassionate, and you be a giver of grace to everybody you meet. That's the lesson of Egypt. Don't forget what you had in the past and how God delivered you from that and make it transform your future and the way that you relate to the people around you with generosity and with compassion and with forgiveness and grace. Um, here's an encouragement to you from Egypt. What God leads you to, God will lead you through. If God led you up to this point, he will lead you through this point to a new road. So it's not a dead end. It becomes a new road. So you may end up in a place you didn't want to really be, like Egypt, but God's going to lead you through. He's going to deliver you. And he leads you to the brink of the Red Sea. He's going to open up the, the, the waters and help you pass through, one way or the other. What God leads you to, God leads you through. And finally, trust Jesus to get you to the promised land. He's the only one who can um, I mean, Moses was amazing, but he says, I'm not the delivery. There's a prophet like me who is to come. And we found out his name is Jesus. The successor of, of Moses in the Old Testament is what? His chosen successor, Joshua. Joshua leads the people of God into the promised land, through the Jordan River, into the promised land. Does that sound familiar to you? Joshua, because his name is Hebrew, Joshua, Yeshua, his name Greek is Jesus, and Jesus is the true successor, the fulfillment of the successor to Moses. And he's the one who delivers us. So we've come full circle. He led them to Egypt, and then it said, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel, they came to the promised land. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in a place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So being warned in a dream, Joseph withdrew to the region of Galilee. And then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. There are more spiritual geographic places to come like Jesus' hometown, like where Jesus walked. And we'll get to those. But now we've come out of Egypt and we're on the brink of entering into the promised land. I don't know what your story is, but I want you to take some bread and I want you to take the cup, whatever it is that you have.
And um, I want you to remember Jesus. We've all had our dead ends in our lives. We've all had those moments. I've had them. When we've come to the, kind of the end of ourselves. And we found out it wasn't the end. It was the beginning of a new road, a new way. And that's what Jesus promises to do. So as you take this bread, as we uh, conclude this time together, as you take this bread, I pray that you will see that, it, that Egypt is a place that doesn't have to be a dead end. It opens up to a new road. Father in heaven, thank you for the bread of life, the manna from heaven, Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua. We thank you for his bread, his life that was given to us on the cross. We thank you for his blood that was shed for us like the Passover lamb on the first Passover in Egypt. The blood of the lamb has been applied to my life through faith. And now I don't have to face judgment. Instead, I have everlasting life. Help me and help everyone here to be able to look forward to what you have for us in the coming new year. We now remember you in this bread and in this cup. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen and Amen. God bless you and Happy New Year.